New Spring, welcome to church today. Glad you're here with our gathering. Uh, happy Palm Sunday to you. As you just saw in the video, next Sunday is Easter. This is our Super Bowl. I'm telling you, when it comes to the Christian faith, there is no Christian faith without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, literally from the dead. We celebrate that. And today is Palm Sunday. Happy to be able to preach today uh, about Jesus. That's what we are about as a church. And as, as uh, next Sunday approaches, I want to show you at your campus today, we've given you a small tool that you can use to help invite people to Easter services, uh, Easter gatherings next week. This small card, you can grab a stack of these and you can invite people to come. Easter is one of those big days of the year when someone who may not normally come to church might decide to join you. Statistics tell us if you invite somebody three times, they'll come. I know a lot of us don't invite people to do things because we're afraid of getting rejected and we're afraid of failure. And I just want to tell you that failure is a part of life. Sometimes you got to be rejected before you can be accepted. Can I tell you what happened to me when I was a sophomore in high school at Hillcrest in Simpsonville, South Carolina? I experienced rejection, but I did not take no as an answer. There was a cute girl in my chemistry class. Her name was Erin. I was very attracted to her. I called her on the phone. I decided I was going to invite her to go on a date with me. She answered the phone. I said, hey, Erin, this is Clayton. She said, who? That's not the response you want. I said, Clayton, from chemistry class. And she said, oh, do you need some help with your homework? And I said, no, actually, I, I was feeling some chemistry with you. And I was wondering if you were feeling chemistry with me, and I was wondering if we could, you know, go out on a date maybe Friday night and see what happens if there's any combustion in that chemistry. I thought that sounded like a real strong pitch, but she obviously wasn't feeling it, and she just simply responded, no, thank you. That invitation was rejected, but I came back around. I said, well, Aaron, do you have a sister? Is she over 15? And if so, can you put her on the phone? I'd love to talk to her. So this week, you're going to have a chance to invite some folks to come with you this coming weekend for our Easter gatherings marked by victory. We are going to celebrate the victory that Jesus Christ won for us over death, hell, and the grave. But today, I get the honor to wrap up our Men of God series. I have enjoyed every single week of this series. We have learned in every single message that it's decisions, not intentions, that determine your destination. We can have the best of intentions, but it's the decision that we make day to day, the multiple decisions every day, and the big decision of what we will do with Jesus. And we see from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, that there is a way, there is a path that seems right to a man, but the end of that path can lead to death or destruction. And so today we're gonna look at two men in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, who had to make a decision about the path they wanted to walk. There is a path that leads to death, and that path is typically marked by a hard heart to the things of God, a hard heart to his conviction, a hard heart to whatever God wants to say to you or do in your life. But there's another path you can choose as a man of God. There's another way you can walk, and you can walk a path where you humble your heart, you open your heart, and that path does not lead to death and destruction. That path leads to life. And that's what we want for you as men of God in our church and for our entire church. As I was putting together this message with our team, I realized 35 years in ministry, I celebrated actually 35 years two Sundays ago. 
I began preaching at age 14, and the most common question I get, whether it's after a message at New Spring in a lobby or an atrium, uh, whether I'm at the YMCA working out or I'm in an airport going to an event where I'm preaching or just here around town in a restaurant or at Target, the most commonly asked question I get is simply a question that sounds something like this. How do I know I'm a Christian? How can I be confident that I'm saved? Because depending on how you were raised or the background you come from, so many of us have different ideas about what it means to be a Christian. Some people think, well, if I wasn't confirmed, if I didn't pray a certain way, if I wasn't baptized a certain way, if I didn't cross myself or kneel the perfect way or, or maybe even pray the certain kind of words according to scripture or tradition, what I wanna do today in the next few moments we have together is I want us to look at two different men from Luke 23, both who had a path to walk, both who had a decision to make, and I wanna give you confidence in your salvation so that when you leave this gathering today on your campus or when you log off online from watching us online today, you don't have to worry, you don't have to hope, you don't have to wonder. There are so many things in life you can get wrong and you can recover from it. There's so many mistakes you can make and you'll bounce back. But if we get this wrong, church, if you get salvation wrong, this is an eternal mistake. Do not leave your campus. Do not log off our website or YouTube today until you have nailed it down with confidence that you have chosen not the path of destruction, but the path that leads to life, because this is the path that leads to Jesus. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 23. You can join me there. I'm gonna start off reading in verse 32. This is the story of what happened on the day Jesus was crucified. We call it Good Friday. As we celebrate Holy Week on Palm Sunday, Jesus walked into Jerusalem. I've actually walked that path where they believe Jesus entered into the holy city while people threw down palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And during Holy Week, we get to see through the four gospels the things that Jesus experienced. We see Jesus teaching his disciples, warning them about his impending death and his resurrection. We see Jesus sharing a last meal with his disciples. We see Jesus taking the humble posture of a servant when he gets down and washes their feet, even the one that would betray him. We see Jesus betrayed by Judas. We see Jesus denied by Peter. We see Jesus arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, taken to an illegal trial, held overnight. We see him sentenced to death. We see him stand before Pilate. We see Jesus then carry his own cross up until a point he cannot carry it anymore. And Simon the Serene, who helps him carry it all the way to Golgotha. We see Jesus wearing a crown of thorns beaten down on his brow. We see Jesus whipped and beaten with a cat of nine tails. We see them divide his clothes and cast lots over his outer garment. And now, we come to the moment where Jesus is literally hanging on a bloody, disgusting, recycled, reused wooden Roman cross with nine-inch-long, bloody, rusty railroad spikes driven into his hands and his feet. But the point of this story is to examine the two men who were crucified beside Jesus and the path that one of them takes and the different path that another one takes. 
And men of God, we want you to choose Jesus because a man of God chooses Jesus. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. This is what Luke writes. Two criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked Jesus. They came offering him sour wine and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, in all of the things that happened during Holy Week, I just want to point out this one. Luke mentioned sour wine. It's also called wine vinegar. In my house, if we're mopping the floors, we use vinegar. We even put a little bit in the washing machine. Why? Because it's a cleansing agent. You may not know this, but the Bible tells us in one of the other gospels that when they gave Jesus the wine vinegar to drink or the sour wine, they gave it to him on a sponge. This was what the Romans used to clean public toilets. The Romans had figured out a way to build public toilets with running water, and men and women would go into these toilets, and when they were done, these sponges would be dipped in a cleaning agent, sour wine vinegar, used to clean human filth. What does that mean, and why is this recorded? Because Jesus went to his death with the taste of my sin on his lips. Jesus went to the cross with the filth of humanity in his mouth. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he cares about you and about me. An inscription was written above Jesus. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. So we see this path, this criminal has hardened his heart to Jesus. This criminal is arrogant. This criminal is bitter. This criminal is guilty. He's been convicted of a crime punishable by death. But there is no humility. There is no brokenness. There's no taking responsibility for his actions. He's just mocking and ridiculing Jesus. If you're really the Messiah, save yourself and us. But there's another criminal. There's another thief. The other man answered, rebuking him. Don't you fear God since you were undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to show you what's going on here. It starts with conviction. It begins with conviction. All three of these men have been convicted of a crime punishable by death. Two of them are guilty. The man in the middle, Jesus Christ, is innocent. Now see this image. You've got Jesus hanging on the cross in between two sinners. His arms nailed to the tree, outstretched. 
The symbolism here is Jesus in Luke 19.10 saying the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And with his dying breath, Jesus is reaching out to his right, reaching out to his left, and he is literally with his dying breath trying to bring sinners to salvation. That was his mission. That's our mission. That's your mission. And it begins with conviction because all of these men are convicted as guilty, but when it comes to these two paths, you can walk. One of the men, even though he's guilty, will not humble himself. The other one humbles himself, and he knows that he deserves to be there. Conviction is a gift from God. It's not a curse. I know sometimes when I get convicted, I don't really want to repent. I don't want to own up um, to my own sins and shortcomings. Uh, my son Jacob, he's literally here at the Anderson campus right now. He's 19. He's preaching at Middle School Fuse right now. He's on the teaching team. But when Jacob was little, we used to call him the Holy Spirit because he loved to convict me and Shari of all of our sins. And some of you may have a child like that. Maybe your daughter or your son is a rule follower and they've got that Hawkeye and they don't miss anything. And they call you out when you act in hypocritical ways. And one morning on the way to school in our 2003 Chrysler town and country silver minivan with independent climate control, I am driving him to school and I've just finished praying for Jacob. He's in the back seat. He's in his car seat strapped in. He's like three or four years old. And I just finished blessing him and quoting scripture. And I go to pull through the four-way stop and the car coming to my right runs the stop sign, almost hits us. And I scream out just with a reflex, you idiot. And from the back seat, my little four-year-old Holy Spirit speaks up. He said, daddy, <gasps> I thought you were a Christian. <laughs> now, parents, can we just be honest right now? There is the only, thing, the only thing that makes you more angry and sometimes upset and frustrated when your child calls you out is when your spouse calls you out. We don't want to repent when we get convicted. But in that moment, I had a choice to make. I had a decision I could make. I can decide right now to take the path of hardening my heart and saying, no, you don't correct me. You're four. What do you know? Or I could humble myself and I could choose the path of repentance. And I did in that moment humble myself. I said, Jacob, you're right, son. I'm sorry. I should never call anybody an idiot in my mind, I'm thinking even if they are one, I shouldn't call them one. You know how it is. I'm just being honest with you. And in that moment, by repenting to him, I was not only convicted, but that conviction led somewhere good. See, conviction by itself is not enough to save you. It's not enough to get you into heaven or get you the abundant life that Jesus promises on earth. This criminal was convicted. He knew he was wrong. He said it with his own mouth. That's what leads us to confession. This is how you can have confidence. Conviction alone is not all that God wants for you. Conviction needs to take you somewhere. Conviction can lead to confession. Confession just simply means to fess up or to agree with. To confess means you agree with what God already knows about you. To confess simply means this. I wrote this in my notes. I've tried to do this in my own life. Many times I fail at it. When I mess up, I fess up. That's what it is to confess. When you mess up, you just fess up. None of us like to watch um, politicians, billionaires, uh, rock stars, movie stars, famous people. We, we hate it when we see people in the media that make a mistake or do something terrible and they won't own up to it. They put the spin on it. 
We've even named those people spin doctors. There are people that literally have a job to do nothing but, but write up uh, scripts for people to read when they do something wrong or they get caught. And instead of taking ownership and fessing up when they messed up, they just put a spin on it and we can all see through that when other people do it. Have you noticed how quickly you can see that in other people but how difficult it is for you when you mess up to own up to it and fess up to the crime, to fess up to the sin? And I know that we don't want to confess it because it makes us feel broken and it makes us feel weak. But I want to show you that confession is a gift because when you confess your brokenness to Jesus and you choose the path of life instead of the path of death, when you choose the path of humility instead of the path of hardening your heart, when you say it out loud and confess your sin to Jesus, it brings freedom. It brings life. This criminal chooses to confess. He literally, with his mouth, says to the other dying man, don't you fear God because we're getting what we deserve. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Luke recorded this so that broken people like you and like me could be encouraged that it's just better to fess up when you mess up. I don't live too far from here. From this spot in Anderson, I live just a couple of miles. And a few years ago, I was coming back from preaching at an event late at night, and I got stopped for speeding. I wish I could say that was the first time I had been stopped for speeding. It wasn't. I wish I could say that was the 12th time I've been stopped for speeding. It wasn't even the 12th time, probably closer to 20 than 12. Actually, I think it was number 19. I have a problem. Please pray for me. I need your prayers, thoughts and prayers, people. Send them my way. Good vibes. And, I, and, and the nice officer pulled me over and he asked me a question. It's such a simple question. This, this wonderful officer said, sir, did you see the speed limit sign? Now in that moment, I had a choice to make. I could choose to harden my heart or I could choose to humble myself because we have a path to choose. And I've just learned over the years that when you get in trouble, just own up to it, fess up to it. And I could have made up a lie. I could have put a spin on it. I could have said, oh, I was coming back late from preaching. Dozens, pe- dozens of people were there and hundreds of people were saved. Did you get that? I could, have, I could have put a spin on it, but I didn't. I just owned up to it. I said, officer, I did see the speed limit sign. The problem is I didn't see you. <laughs> and he laughed at me. And he, threw, he literally threw my license back at me through the window and said, this is a warning, slow down, be safe. Why do I tell you that story? Because it's true, it happened almost at my house. But I wanna expose to you the truth that if you just fess up, things will go better for you. Now, I'm not giving you permission to speed today. And if you get pulled over, don't you dare tell that officer, Pastor Clayton said you would give me a warning. I didn't say that, I rebuked that demon in Jesus' name. I just want you to see that when we confess, when we own up to what we've done, that is the path of life. That is the direction that leads to a destination of peace and joy. And that's why this passage is so important. That's why this man's verbal confession of his guilt didn't just stop at confession. It actually brought the blessing of conversion. Remember, I want to give you confidence today. I don't want anybody at New Spring Church or anyone watching online today to get to the end of this message and still wonder if you're going to go to heaven or hell when you die. We don't want you as a church to live the rest of your life uncertain and unsure. We want you to be successful in your walk with Jesus because you, you can have the confidence of knowing you've really converted. 
Conversion happens when this criminal, this guilty man, watch what he does. He literally prays a prayer to Jesus. What is prayer? I mean, so many people get freaked out about prayer. If you don't know how to pray, just start here with a simple prayer like this. This is the most simple, heartfelt prayer of desperation. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is not a hard prayer to pray. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is the moment he converts. Now, I want to tell you, church, you're not born a Christian. There might be some confusion about this. Depending on how you're raised or, or your religious background or your lack of religion in your background, you may think that some people are born Christians and other people are not. The Bible tells us that we are all born sinners. So we're not born Christians. You might be born into a Christian family, but you're not born a Christian. So in order for us to actually be saved, we have to do what this criminal did on the cross. We have to convert from death to life, from sin to salvation, from brokenness to blessing, from wickedness to righteousness. And the moment of conversion happens. Listen, this is so easy to see. The moment of conversion happens when you ask. You just have to ask. We've complicated this. We've made this so complex when it is so simple. He asked Jesus for one thing. He didn't have time to undo or redo his life. He didn't have time to go out and volunteer. He didn't have time to, to pay his tithes. He didn't have years to make up for all the bad years. He brought no righteousness of his own to Jesus. He simply asked, will you remember me when you get to your kingdom? How do I know this is the moment of conversion? Because do you hear it in the prayer? Remember me when you get to your kingdom. Translation, I know that you're the king of kings. I know you're the son of God. You rule and reign over heaven. We're all three gonna die here any minute, but when we die, we have no authority. When you die, you have authority to let me in the kingdom. I bring nothing to you but my brokenness. I bring nothing to you but my mistakes, my shame, my guilt, my addictions, all the pain from my past. It's all I got, but I'm giving it to you. And if by some miracle of your grace and mercy, you could just remember me when you get to heaven, I know you can open the gates and let me in. And if Jesus can save this guy, he can save you. He can save me. There is no one Jesus cannot save. Nobody. You are not beyond his grace. You are not beyond his mercy and forgiveness. A simple prayer. Just remember me when you get to your kingdom. I know you can. I'm gonna give you an illustration to help you see this visually. Shari and I, my wife, we, we celebrate 23 years in three weeks. And I love her. We've been all over the world together. We've been to India 11 times total. When we used to fly into New Delhi, we would get off the plane, go through customs, check our passports, and we would arrive at a place where we would exchange our American money for Indian currency. Let me show you how this would work. I would walk up to a desk with a glass. There was an opening at the glass and a microphone to speak into. And I would take out my American dollars. Uh, I would usually have tens and twenties. And I would slide my American money in that slot, and they would count my American money. Then they would do the math. They would convert it to rupees 
rupees, and then they would slide rupees under the glass and put them in my hand. That's conversion, dollars to rupees. The conversion rate was $1 for 44 rupees on my first trip to India, 1996, somewhere around there. That is what it means to convert. I give you what I've got, you give me what you've got. None of us have anything of value to bring to Jesus except our soul because we're made in his image. But we are valuable to Jesus, so you today, listen, you can bring him all your sin, all your shame, all the guilt, all the blame. You can bring him your addiction. You can bring him the, the depression that keeps you locked up in fear. You can bring the anxiety that wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning. You can bring the relationship that you blew up years ago. You can bring your fear of losing everything Bring it to Jesus and just, just give it to him. And he's gonna convert all of that sin and he's gonna hand you his salvation. Because Jesus responds to this man's simple request with a vote of confidence. And that's the goal for today. I want you to feel the confidence that Jesus gave this desperate dying man. Jesus says it in verse 43. He said to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives him the promise of paradise. That means that you can be certain that you're saved. Now, I'm looking forward to paradise. I've been to some nice places. I love Anderson. I lived here seven years. I love Anderson. It's great, but it's not paradise. I mean, we got the jockey lot. We got Skins Hot Dogs. We got Anderson University. We, we, I mean, it's a great place. I love Greenwood. Shari and I were in Greenwood on Thursday night. She spoke at BCM at Lander University. I love Greenwood. I love Matt Alley. He texted me this morning. I love Greenwood. And it is a beautiful place with all kinds of cool restaurants and a lake and deer everywhere. I love Greenwood. I love Hilton Head. Been there. Vacation there. Myrtle Beach. Love it. Florence. Beautiful city. I love Columbia, our state capital. Greenville, my hometown. I love these places, but none of these places are paradise. Can I tell you where paradise is? Paradise is where Jesus rules and reigns and sin and death cannot enter. That's the promise of paradise. And he promises this man, you'll be with me in paradise today. How can you know? How can you be certain that Jesus has made you that promise. Well, you just have to ask. You have to believe. 1 John 5, 13. John himself says, I've written these things to those of you that believe that you might know that you have eternal life. When I pull in the driveway to my house, I don't hope that my wife is still married to me. I don't wish that my wife is still married to me. I know that my wife is still married to me. Why? Because we're in a covenant Jesus is offering you the promise of paradise if you will believe in him and invite him in with just a simple prayer. I wanna show you a quote from a pastor from years ago. This is one of the most powerful quotes specifically about this story in Luke 23. The last chance for salvation, the, the deathbed repentance. His name is J.C. Ryle. And I want you to look at this quote. He says this about the story of the two thieves. I dare say you are planning on a late repentance. You do not know what you are doing. I grant you, true repentance is never too late. But I warn you at the same time, late repentance is seldom true. I grant you, 
One penitent thief was converted in his last hours that no one may despair. But I warn you, only one was converted that no man may presume. So I want to just point out, deathbed repentance, last chance salvation is 100% possible for you if you're listening to this message right now. But do not presume that you'll get another chance. I've done this for a long time, and I could tell you story after story of people I've known that had a last chance. Some of them died just days after they were saved. Others walked into eternity having rejected the grace of God. Don't be like the criminal who chose the path of a hard heart, who chose to resist and reject the goodness of Jesus. Choose the path that leads to life. Choose humility. Choose confidence in Jesus. Uh, Six days ago, let's, let's go back seven days, a week ago today, I was preaching in Statesville, North Carolina uh, at, a, at, a, at an event. By the way, uh, as a part of our church, I want to celebrate this because everything I do is an extension of our church as a pastor here, but also as an evangelist. I've seen 2,500 people saved since January 15th. I've never seen in 35 years, I've never seen so many people responding for salvation. And so Sunday night I was preaching in Statesville and I gave an invitation by the grace of God, a little 10-year-old girl came to the front, and I watched her walk over to pray with some prayer counselors. That was on Sunday night. There were 20 people that responded to that invitation. The next night, I was walking up on the stage to preach. This was an outdoor event at their county fairgrounds, and I see a guy walk in late, really late, like 20 minutes late, and he walked in right as I was beginning to walk up on the stage. And I won't go into detail, but I knew that this guy was struggling with drug addiction. I could tell. I've had a lot of experience. Um, with people in my family and friends who have had to fight hard for sobriety. And I could tell by the way that he looked and by the way that he fidgeted, this is a guy that's really working hard to get clean. I gave the invitation. He was the first guy to stand up. He was the first guy to walk forward. And so he walks around by the side of the stage. He walks out of the tent, and I wanted to go find him because I wanted to hear his story. It just felt like there was a story there. And as I'm walking around that uh, corner to go to the area where they're praying, an older lady grabs me by the arm and she was walking with a cane and she said, are you going to see my boy right now? I said, excuse me? She goes, my son, he's the heroin addict that just got saved, the one with the black toboggan. You're going to talk to him, aren't you? I said, I didn't know that was your son, but yeah, I wanted to go meet him. She said, he just got saved. Do you know why he just got saved? I said, "Uh, tell me the story. She said, this was his last chance. He's been in prison. And she told me for how long. She said, in February, he overdosed on heroin twice. The first time, they pronounced him dead. But while they're doing CPR, after they had pronounced him dead, he came to life. And then just a few days later, he overdosed again, and they had to hit him with a Narcon shot just to save him. This is his last chance. The reason why he just came tonight and gave his life to Jesus, she said, last night, my granddaughter, his little girl, gave her life to Jesus. And when she came home, she lives with me, she said, Grandma, I got saved tonight. I feel like Daddy needs to give his life to Jesus, and I feel like this is his last chance. Do you think he'll come if I ask him? And she asked her daddy if he would come, and her daddy came, and her daddy was saved. And now he can have the confidence that regardless of all the mistakes he's made, 
That simple prayer, Jesus, remember me, can give him the confidence to know that Jesus doesn't break his promises, that Jesus is victorious over death. And I want you to have that confidence today. So I end with these two questions. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? It is not your intention. It is your decision that leads you to the destination. Do not choose to harden your heart. That's foolish. Humble yourself before Jesus and just invite him in. Just ask. Would you close your eyes and open your hearts to the Lord right now? Just listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he says. At every campus, I want to invite you, if you have never truly made a decision. You've had, the, you've had the intention, you've just never gotten around to it. But if you've never made the decision to fully trust in Jesus, I wanna ask you to do that right now. Pray to him. And in the same simple prayer of faith, that thief on the cross prayed to Jesus and he said, yes, you'll be with me in paradise. You can have the same confidence right now. Pray this to Jesus in your heart. Young or old or anywhere in between, from whatever background, Jesus loves you. He's as close as your, next, as your next breath. Pray this to him right now. Jesus, remember me and give me your salvation. I don't deserve it, but I ask for your mercy. I believe your promise so I repent of my sin and I invite you into my heart. Save me right now, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed at every campus. Just at our first gathering today, we saw probably close to 100 people at all 14 campuses and online respond to the gospel. Can I ask you to do something? Hearts open, eyes closed. If you just prayed and you asked Jesus to remember you, to save you so that you could have confidence in your salvation, would you do one simple thing? And you can do it right now. I'm going to ask you at every location to raise your hand straight up above your head right now if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus. Can you raise it up and keep it up for just a few seconds? I'm not going to point you out or make you stand up. Raise them up and keep them up. I can only see this room, but I'm gonna count just to stir some faith. Keep them up, please. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44. You put your hands down every campus. Open your eyes, everybody. Open your eyes. I wanna say this to everybody at every campus and watching online. God knows the people that just responded to the gospel. But in this room, we just saw 44 people receive confidence because they called on Jesus to forgive them of their sin, trusting him for salvation. That is something to celebrate. 
so I'm gonna invite everybody right now to stand up on your feet at every campus. Go ahead, every campus, stand up on your feet. And I wanna invite you to do this. We're gonna sing a song and we need to sing like people who have been saved. But before the band leads on your campus or before you log off after this last song from online, here's what we want for you. We want you to have a great, amazing, real, successful relationship with Jesus. So here is the action item I'm asking you to take. Everybody get out your phone. Go ahead, everybody get it out. No matter what kind you got. Flip phone, bag phone, iPhone, don't care. Blackberry, doesn't matter. Just get out your phone, look at it. Everybody do this together. We're gonna remove every barrier. And if you are one of the people who just prayed to receive Christ, I want you to do something right now. Everybody's looking at their phone, so no one's gonna look at you and go, oh, they just got saved. Which, by the way, you just got saved. We're proud of you. We're thankful for you. We celebrate what just happened in your life. We know it's the greatest thing in the world. Text the word Jesus to 30303. Do it right now. It's up on the screens. It's up on your, on your laptop or your phone right now if you're watching online. Just text Jesus to 30303 and we're gonna send you a link. And when you get that link, please click on it and just fill out those handful of simple questions so we can help you take your next step, which is baptism and spiritual formation. We are committed to that, to helping you be successful in your walk with Jesus. Now, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna sing, we're gonna honor the Lord, and we're gonna make some noise because we have just seen hundreds of people respond to the gospel today at New Spring Church. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for the power of the gospel, that it's never too late as long as we have breath in our lungs, and now we sing at the top of our lungs to a God who is able to save us even at the last minute. In Jesus' name, amen.